Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Good morning. It is good to see you all here today. Um, how are y'all doing? See, I'm stopping and asking that because we're a week out from the day. And I just, I'm just curious to know just how you holding up. You doing okay? You doing all right? Anybody been down to Alderwood lately? Is that? Yes, I know. If you haven't been down there, it's waiting. No, it's not. I hope not. But I just want you to know that we as a staff, we keep you guys in our prayers, not just so that you would survive this time of year, but that you would find blessing that you would find, you know, a filling, being richly blessed during this time because this is the thing that can get missed during this season. My name is Damien. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at North Shore, and I am honored to get to spend the next few minutes with you um, in our journey through uh, our Christmas series, Emmanuel. God with us. And that title comes from the Gospel of Matthew, where he records the account of Jesus' birth in chapter 1, verse 22, where he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And church, this is what we don't want you to miss is that Christmas is not about the songs, and the songs are fantastic. It's, it's not about the gifts or the parties or the food, and I want you to understand that's good stuff. There's nothing bad about any of what I just said. But Christmas is about relationship, and that relationship is God through Jesus with us, with us. So... And if this is your first time with us here this morning, we want to welcome you. If this is your first time with us online, family, it's good to see you. And I want to give a very special warm welcome to our YouTube family. This is a new thing that we're doing now. Welcome. We're glad to have you with us. Please hop in the chat and say hello. And yeah, I know you've never heard this before. Go ahead and like. Go ahead and share. Go ahead and subscribe. That helps us out. All right. There we go. That helps us out. So... Um, I'm going to go ahead and invite ushers to come forward. And if you are in need of a Bible, I'm going to encourage you. You will need one today. Um, raise your hand if you need one. They're going to get one to you. Well, we're going to be spending some time in Scripture. Uh, it's not going to be on the screens. So there's your heads up. So if you need one, get your apps out. Um, there's some U version. That's an amazing app. But let's get the Word of God out in front of us. We'll read it together. And so uh, here's what I want to do. I want to do just a real quick recap of what the last two weeks have been about. Two weeks ago, Scott, he walked us through um, Jesus as our soulmate. And, and how is Jesus our soulmate? He showed us that he's our soulmate because he created us. He made us in his image. And I love this. He gave us breath or he gave us life would be a better way to put that. In other words, he knows us. And then last week, Pat very masterfully just walked us through how God guided Israel in the wilderness by a cloud by day and then by a pillow of fire but by night. But that for us today, Jesus is our guide. And he guides us by being the bread of life, by being the light of the world 
and by being the I am. So today we're going to be looking at Jesus as our true friend. Okay? Now please notice that I did not say Jesus our best friend. Why? Well, all right, let's put it to the test. Now, this is going to be a little audience participation here this morning. I said audience. This is going to be a little family participation here this morning. If you can remember who was your best friend in fourth grade, some of y'all may have to think a little harder than others. That's all right. I want you to raise your hand. If you can remember who was your best friend in fourth grade, go ahead and raise your hand. And it's all right. No shame if you don't remember. It's all right. It's cool. All right. Now go ahead and put your hand down. If that individual is still your best friend today, would you raise your hand? Woo! Come on now. Look around, church. Raise your hand. Put them up high. Say, your best friend. I want you to understand, that is cool. That is awesome. But that is not common. All right? Why? Because best friends change. Some of us, they changed a lot. I can remember when there would be people I went to school with. And I mean, best friends were like on a weekly rotation. It was like, you know, I was like, wait, I thought she was your best friend. No, that was last week. Now she's my best friend. And we're like, oh, okay. And then the next week, no, she's back being my best friend again. And it was like, wait, what? It was hard for me as a kid to keep up with other people's friends. I remember my best friend, Gerald Whitmore. Gerald Whitmore. Wow. We were pretty tight. But that was a long time ago. See, being a true friend is a different thing. It's a different thing. So let's get some context on what it means to have or to be a true friend. We're going to look at what are some of the characteristics of a true friend. If you're taking notes, you can follow on along. Let's do this together. The first characteristic I'm going to talk about this morning is that truth is spoken. The first thing we can acknowledge about a true friendship is that truth is spoken. See, in a true friendship, when truth is spoken, that truth has value even before it's said. And even more significantly is that it is respected after it is spoken. But church, we're given some real clear guidelines on how to speak truth. And this is important for us. We don't get to just dump it out there because it's, it's truth. Paul, when he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4.15, he says, hey, we're to speak the truth in love and we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Now, now to be fair, in the context of what he was talking about, Paul was speaking to, if we're going to be speaking to the truth of Jesus, the truth of who he is, the truth of his gospel, then we need to speak that truth in love. But somehow I just have the sense in the spirit of how it is that we speak to one another. I don't think it would be any different. Because see, if you're a true friend and you're going to speak in love, what is love? Well, it's pretty easy. You know, God is love and Jesus is love. And you probably hear that and go, I'm sorry, Damien, that doesn't help. What is love in this context if we're supposed to speak it? We're supposed to speak in love. Well, then let's go and look at what Paul says. And I don't even have to turn to it. You guys know 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said, he said, love is patient. Love is kind. Love isn't rude. It isn't arrogant. It isn't irritable. Or it, it's, it's, it's not even 
you know, resentful. I think something tells me that when somebody is speaking to us in love, we kind of know it when we hear it. And we also kind of know it when we don't. So now, and I also want to be clear on this. Because we are still in the flesh and we don't have this all worked out yet, a true friend may not get the speaking the truth in love right all the time. There might be some foul balls or some straight out swings and misses. I'm just, just being honest, especially if they're sitting down and they're speaking truth to you about something that you've done before or that you are currently still doing. Your true friend might sit down and look at you and just really, literally just say one word. Really? Really? We're, we're here again in this? And you might think, well, I'm, I'm not feeling a lot of love right there. No, you might not. You might not. So let's expand. Let's take some time on this dynamic of what it means to, uh, to, to speak truth and what happens in that space. Because it's the next characteristic, which is comfort isn't guaranteed. See, comfort might be something that is hoped for and even pursued, but a true friend will not guarantee to always make you comfortable, especially when truth is being spoken. See, discomfort may not be common. In other words, that's not a, a characteristic of your, of your friendship with a true friend. But you know what? It's probably not unfamiliar. It's probably someplace that you sat and you have been before. So, and you need to also understand, and, I, and, and this was real important. This was something that, just, that, that uh, the Holy Spirit just kind of shared with me. And it's that a true friend is always going to weigh out the risk of speaking truth. And it usually comes in two questions. The first one is, what's going to happen when I speak the truth to my friend? But more importantly, what's going to happen if I don't? What happens if I know the truth that they need to hear and I don't? I don't speak it. In Matthew chapter 16, it's, it's a chapter that, it's, it's one of those where, boy, you read it from beginning to end, and there's a whole lot that's going on in this chapter. I'm going to be at verse 24, but let me just set this up for you. Jesus has gotten into a real big fat argument with the Pharisees, and basically he's confronting them on their false teachings. And then coming out of that moment, he turns to his disciples and he asks them, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter, always loved Peter. Peter speaks up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus points to him and says, and it is on that truth that I'm going to build my church. And then to the same Peter, just a moment later, and they pull aside and they're having a conversation. And because of something Jesus, Peter says with a good heart and good intent, but Jesus rebukes him pretty harshly too. And then coming out of that moment, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, starting in verse 25, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, 
will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Church, can, can you just feel how comfortable those words just made the disciples? There was nothing comforting about that at all. I mean, they're just, they're just probably saying, Jesus, did you literally just say to us that in order for us to follow you, not only do we have to deny ourselves, but now you're telling us we have to go pick up and carry the most hor horrific instrument of torture and death that exists in the world today. And Jesus knew this wasn't going to make them comfortable, but it was the truth that they needed to hear. You know, this reminds me of a moment in my own life where I had a very, very, no, 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 I didn't, I, I have a very, very dear friend who got in touch with me one day and said, hey, can we get together and can we talk? There's something I need to tell you. And I said, sure, absolutely. And we met here in the lobby. And I want you to know that this was a, this was a sister in the Lord here. And, and, and there were a couple other people from our ministry that sat a little bit of distance off. We just want you to know, we, we take being above reproach. We take it real seriously here. So the two of us sat out there and we had a conversation. And I want you to know that this is how the conversation started. She took out her phone and she opened up a file that had everything in it that she needed to say to me. And then she reached in her purse and she took out a handful of tissue. And I knew in that moment, this is going to be rough. And so she took the time to walk me through every single thing that she had written down because it was important that she say it. And what was equally and maybe even more important is that I heard it. Now, by the time we got done, I think all of that tissue got used. But I can't tell you how thankful I was that she took the time, had the courage to step in, lean in with me as my true friend and tell me the truth, something I needed to hear. And I'm thankful to this day. But here's the thing that you need to know. At no point in that conversation was my comfort her responsibility. Mm -mm. Comfort and truth were not going to exist in the same space. But I am so thankful that she did that. So once my true friend and I, once we, we got through that, we were then be able to... Uh, experience the next characteristic of a true friendship, and it is reconciliation. Because in a true friendship, reconciliation is never off the table. Never. Now, see, with a best friend, reconciliation is definitely uh, optional because that's the reason why in a lot of cases you move from one best friend to another best friend. But with a true friend, it's always there. And please understand... One or both of you may leave the table. But when you come back to the table, reconciliation is still there to be had. And let's be honest. Reconciliation is one of those words that can conjure up a few different interpretations or conversations. So why don't we talk about the tool that God gave us to reconcile 
with each other. And then Jesus told us how to properly use that tool. In Matthew chapter 18, this is just a couple chapters past 16. There's this moment where Peter comes to Jesus and he's got a question for Jesus. Now, you, you, if you followed Peter, if you know anything about him, just the fact that Peter wanted to come to Jesus and he had a question for him, that's not like Peter. Peter's usually, you know, he's, he's from the hip. He is, comes in hot, first one in, last one out. He's just one of those dudes. But, she, but, but Peter actually took the time to formulate a question with purpose and intent. It almost makes you want to hug Peter. You say, good job, son, good job. But here's what Peter says. So, beginning in verse 21, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, you hear that, and you understand, Peter's given some thought to this. Look, I can forgive somebody once, twice. Okay, we start getting to three and four times. I feel like I'm going to start looking bad. People are going to start wondering, how foolish am I that I'm still forgiving this person? Now, we start getting into five and six, Jesus, I don't know. So seven has got to be a reasonable limit, right? Come on. And then look at Jesus' answer. Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, is Jesus saying whatever number it is that you have on how many times you should forgive a brother, not everybody, but a brother or sister, just multiply it by 11. Nope, that's not what Jesus is going after. What Jesus is saying is, I want you to forgive them again and again. Keep giving forgiveness away. Keep forgiving. Because it is through forgiveness that reconciliation is even possible. Do you understand that God cannot be reconciled with us if it is not for Jesus and for his blood being shed? And through that forgiveness of sin, we have reconciliation with the Father. So, Church, keep forgiving. Keep it up. If the true friendship is what you are pursuing, as Jesus does, keep forgiving. The next characteristic is this, love. Because love is a journey. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls his first disciples. And he says to them very simple words, come and follow me. Now, we, what he didn't do was he didn't sit him down. He didn't hand him a contract. He didn't say, we're going to take care of a couple of background checks here, and then I'm going to go through your personal and professional references. Jesus said very simply, follow me. But what he was really saying was, walk with me. Go where I go. Eat where I eat. Be present with, with me when my life is threatened. Be there when I heal and when I feed others. Listen to me. Watch me. It is through life together 
that love happens. It's a journey. The disciples got to do it. And Jesus calls us to do this with him. And if you know, if I didn't know any better, this kind of sounds like marriage. Because you know, if there's those of you here this morning who are new in your uh, marriage, or if you are in the process of getting married, you are engaged and you're making plans and everything, we want you to know that you are in love and that is an amazing thing. There's not a single person here who would tell you being in love ain't wonderful, because it is but it fades. And then you are left with truly rolling up your sleeves and loving someone. And that is a journey. Ask somebody who's been married for 10, 15, 20. Oh, and that's just the start. 25, 30, 35, 40 years. See, I can hit those numbers because we got some folks here that have been married that long. And they will tell you that love is a journey. So, church, finally, the last characteristic I want to hit on that identifies true friendship is when one is willing to defend the other. Now, remember, this isn't the list of characteristics of a, of a true friend that is totally exhausted. This is it. There are no more. If you think of more and you think, Damien, you, you missed this, would you come share that with me afterwards? Because I would love to hear. I want to continue to grow. I, I want to know and understand more what does it mean to be a true friend. But I, I, I got to tell you, these were the ones that I found to be the most consistent with Jesus and how it is that he was a friend. Especially this last one where one is willing to defend the other. It made me think of a moment in my own life that I think many of you here might be able to relate to. There was a moment when there was a conversation that was happening about me, but I was not present for it. And the conversation was not going well. But there was one person who raised their hand and spoke up for me. Didn't have to, but they chose to. And I can't tell you how thankful I am for that to this day. I tell you, when somebody stands up to defend you, it's, it's powerful. You don't forget it. But who is it that Jesus defended? Jesus did some defending in his time. And I'm not going to go through all of them. I've got a few situations that I just want to share with you. Some moments that had some significance to them. One of them is found in, I believe it's in Luke chapter 6. Yes. And Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field of grain on the Sabbath. And they decide to eat some of the grain as they're walking. The Pharisees see it and they start trying to get into Jesus and Jesus defended his disciples in a very, very significant way. And then in Matthew chapter 15, he defends his disciples again to the same Pharisees because the, because the disciples weren't washing their hands. And that was a tradition. And he's, they're asking him, how come they don't do that? Now, if there's any mamas here who go, yeah, how come those disciples weren't washing their hands? Well, you just keep praying for all of us who still struggle with that. Amen, glory. 
Hallelujah. And then there was the well-known story of the woman who is caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And I don't know to this day, I'll never figure out how a woman can be an adulterer all by herself. But somehow they only found her. But Jesus defended her in one of the most unique ways possible. And then we get this last one I want to share with you. And this is the one I want to spend a moment in. It's in John chapter 12. If you want to turn there, we're going to be reading some scripture together in that space. So before we jump into John chapter 12, let me go ahead and just skip back to John chapter 11 because I want to just give you some settings, some, some context on this. In John chapter 11, there's this guy named Lazarus. And if you are new in your faith or new to the Bible, but you hear that name and you go, that name sounds familiar. Isn't he the guy that Jesus raised from the dead? You bet, that's him. But in John chapter 11, he's not dead. He's still alive. And his sisters, Mary and Martha, send word to Jesus, get over here because Lazarus is sick. And if you don't come, he's going to die. Well, Jesus gets there after Lazarus has passed. And both Mary and Martha individually come to him and they say to him, if you had only come, my brother would still be alive. But Jesus goes to the grave because Lazarus is dead. He's in his grave clothes and Jesus calls him back to life and raises him from the dead. Now, you got to understand that everybody in that community knew Lazarus was dead. He's dead, dead. And now the dude that was dead isn't anymore. So you can just imagine the, the, just a range of emotions that are going on there. But I know probably the biggest one was simply this. He's alive. Let's celebrate. And that's where we get to John chapter 12, starting with verse 1. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. But Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Church, if there are three words in what Jesus said right there, we all get it was leave her alone. And you know what's so beautiful about those words? You at the next service during our children's ministry while they're doing their thing over there, you can walk into almost any class. You got to get pretty small and ask, hey, do you kids understand what leave her alone means? Uh-huh. They get it. And Judas got it. 
And we can get it today that Jesus was defending what Mary was doing because Jesus defended those who were obedient to him, those who had faith in him, those who worshiped him and believed he was who he said he was. So for us today, what does it mean to be a friend of Jesus? What is a true friendship with Jesus? I mean, what does that even look like? Because last time I checked, he still holds the following titles. Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Bright and Morning Star, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Master, Savior. How do you do this? How are you a friend to that? I, I don't, I don't. But you know, maybe one of the relationships that might be the most helpful to us is the example of Jonathan and David. This takes us back into the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 18 and 19. And if you're not familiar with this story, then you should know that Jonathan is the prince of Israel. It's interesting, he's never referred to that as the prince of Israel, but his father, Saul, is king of Israel, and he is God's anointed. But the problem was God removed his covering from Saul because Saul was stupid. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. I was going to say he was disobedient. Saul was stupid, and he anointed David to be king of Israel. And even though this dynamic was in full play, John's, Jonathan's allegiance, his loyalty, and his friendship never wavered. It actually says in 1 Samuel 18 that, that Jonathan, Jonathan's soul was knit to David's soul. And I know that that's a poor example of knitting because there's some knitters here this morning. And you're looking at my fingers going, that's not how you knit. Thank you. It's not. It's the closest example I can get. Maybe that helps a little bit better. I don't know. But it, what it means is that there was a closeness that was unwavering, even to the point where David took care of Jonathan's children after Jonathan had died. So Jonathan's lineage never mattered to him because he knew who David was. He knew that David was going to be God's, was God's anointed and going to be king of Israel, and he knew that David was his friend. So, what is true friendship with Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, verse 13, what it is for him to be our true friend. Our true friend. Jesus says this, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, why would Jesus say that? Because he was preparing himself to do just that. And church, he did it. He did it. He laid down his life for his friends. But you know, that's not even the most amazing part. He laid down his life 
for his enemies, for the ones who took his life, for the ones moving forward who would ever speak against his name, for the ones who say, I don't care about you, Jesus. I don't need you, Jesus. He laid down his life for them as well. Now, what does it mean then for us to be Jesus's friend? Well, church, in the very next verse, brace yourself for this one. He says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, you know what's really rough about that is how simple that is. He said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And I know the word obedience is not a word that's a favorite of ours, and we struggle with that even today. But I, this, is, this is just my my feeling, this is my, my process in my own spirit. I did not read this anywhere, okay? This is just Damien. I don't feel like he was telling us to obey him. I feel like what he was telling us to do is trust him. You feel like Jesus is saying, you're my friends if you trust me. Because if you trust me, then you'll obey me. You'll do what I tell you to do. And I know that those who trusted Jesus moved his heart, moved his soul. So what now? You might be saying this morning, where, do you, where, where are the next steps from here? Where, where do we go from here, Damien? Well, so it's Christmas. And we've got this baby this beautiful, precious, innocent baby, this Jesus, this Emmanuel, God, with us. He came to bring us peace, to bring us love, to bring us light. And you did not, let me just be clear on the record, nobody here this morning asked Jesus to come and do any of this, but he did. You didn't ask him to come and speak truth or to make reconciliation with God possible or to call you to come and follow him on a journey or to stand up and defend you. But aren't you glad he did it anyway? Aren't you glad that he is our true friend? Remember, church, at the beginning of this, I reminded you that Christmas is about relationship. Well, Jesus, he summed this up perfectly in this way. In the next two verses in John chapter 15, he says this, no longer do I call you servants, for servants for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
And church, I want you to hear these words because here it is for us. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Jesus chose you. And right now in this moment, you might be evaluating your worth, your purpose. You might be evaluating your history, your decision-making, the good things you've done, the mistakes you've made and made and made. And Jesus knows it. And he still chooses you. Would you stand? And we're going to pray. We're going to worship. Because I trust and I believe that there's some things that we would like to say to God this morning with our voices raised. Would you pray with me? Lord, this morning, as we have sat, as we have stood in this space with you, as we have looked at what it has meant to be a true friend, when we have stopped and looked to see what does it mean to be your friend, thank you for what I hope, Lord, is the clarity that you've given us. Thank you that you, you chose us and you choose us. Thank you, Lord, that you speak truth to us. Thank you, Lord, that you constantly keep us reconciled with the Father and that you defend us even today, even in this moment, as we think less of ourselves in comparison to you, you even defend us, you defend us to ourselves. And you remind us that we were made in the image of your father. Thank you for being our soulmate. Thank you for being our guide. Thank you for being our true friend. And we ask this of you in your name. And we all said.